about them Irish. I can't take it anymore. I need a national championship. This is the Four Horsemen Podcast. And we are back. Welcome to the Four Horsemen Podcast. I'm Dylan, joined by Steve as always. Was there any college football this week? Because to me, whenever Notre Dame's not playing, the world just shuts down, right? That's that's how it works. We are the center of the college football universe, so I think you're onto something here. Always and forever. Um, that, that's the way I always know it. So, Steve, let me just get you in here. How is your life going this year with regard to football? Well, I don't know if people who listen to this podcast realize or not, but the Notre Dame Fighting Irish are undefeated in the Lord's year of 2020. Another team that's undefeated are the Pittsburgh Steelers, um, who my uncle played for. Not that big of a deal. Only four Super Bowl rings in the family tree. And if you combine their record, it's now 18-0. and Now, what's the second digit in, in uh, 18? Eight. And if you multiply... Eight times 11, which is how many national championships we have. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. What does that equal? 1988. Feels like 88, baby. Let's go. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Life is great. Life is awesome. We flipped recruits. We are riding high. Nothing can possibly go wrong. Guys, I'll be honest with you. Steve is super excited because I told him we'll do recruiting today. So he has been just a giddy child ready to get into it. We'll we'll save that for just a little bit, though. Um, let's talk about college football at large. I'm sure some of you guys watched football. What we've learned is that the Big Ten sucks, and that's basically it. So let me recap the Big Ten's horrible, awful, no good, tragical day. I don't know how that title actually works, but it works. It works. First of all. The Big Ten West, the, the, the team of that division who can compete with Ohio State and possibly make the playoffs with a freshman quarterback, lost. Northwestern beat Wisconsin, which is hilarious because Northwestern isn't really that good, um, which really just hurts the Big Ten's chances at just everything. Um, last year, the Big Ten had too many good teams, and this year, the Big Ten has no good teams. Um, furthermore, Penn State is hilariously winless. They're 0-5, um, and after weird allegations about bullying going on at that school, I'm completely fine with it. Um, Michigan went to punches. triple overtime with Rutgers. Um, sorry, I should rephrase that. Um, Michigan is now known as Big Ten Pitt, because both of them were good back in the 1930s, and neither of them will win a conference championship again. So Big Ten pit sucks, and that leaves the big one, Indiana versus Ohio State. And something the podcast account was very forceful with yesterday was that it was a tight win for Ohio State, and that said more about Ohio State than Indiana. Because Indiana was ranked in the top 10 because they beat a ranked Penn State, and then they beat a ranked Michigan. And it turns out those teams aren't very good. So Indiana, we don't really know how good they are, but they're probably not very good. So when Ohio State struggled to beat them, to me, that suggested that this Ohio State team is extremely beatable. Um, They do not have a good defense. I think their defense is worse than Clemson's. I think their offense is similarly good. So in a theoretical Notre Dame-Ohio State matchup, I, I do like the Irish there. So Big Ten football, really poor day. Did you watch any of this? Do you have any thoughts on that 
conference? Uh, didn't watch, did my usual scoreboard watching, but, uh, you know, had my weekend of basically doing chores. Uh, <laughs> and that's just what happens when you become an old grumpy man like myself. But, um, yeah, I mean, scoreboard watching was uh, exquisitely hilarious looking at, uh, you know, Ohio state struggle so much, um, you know, kind of a bullcrap ending to that game. in in my opinion, uh, you know, the Wisconsin game, Yes, they didn't have Graham Mertz because they have this ridiculous three-week quarantine on a disease that's out of your system in 14 days. It is what it is. I didn't create the conference, uh, how pathetic it is. But um, you would expect that Wisconsin would have any sort, especially since they have a true freshman starting at quarterback, you would think that they have some sort of competent QB behind him where they could put up more than, what, what was it, seven points? Like, Come on, Wisconsin's a joke. Hopefully, Graham Mertz comes back and is like their savior to to take out Ohio State, and that like that's an ideal scenario. But um, yeah, I mean, college football as a whole, it was a boring weekend, only because Notre Dame didn't play. Yeah, that's it. Of course, I mean, anything that happens, it, it, you can link it back to Notre Dame in one way or another. Um, let's talk about playoff scenarios. Um, just just briefly here, because the playoff committee is reporting on Tuesday, so the first rankings are coming out. Um, we're going to get a good idea of the real polls and what the real rankings are. Um, so let's start in Bedlam. Um, the Oklahoma Sooners thrashed their rival, the Cowboys, there uh, by a lot. And uh, they also beat Texas, and they will be probably in the Big Ten championship game. So I'm going to ask you this. Is there any chance the Oklahoma Sooners have at making the playoff with two losses? There's not a chance in hell. Not a chance in hell because they're not they're not playing a full season, are they? Not they're not playing full, to like, quote unquote a full season at ten games. I think they're only playing eight, I think, right? I, oh, I thought they were, but you know what? You might be right. I can't. Uh, keep you track. know what? They, might, they actually, I think that the Big Ten, Big Twelve, rather, is playing ten games. But if they go eight and two, uh, come on, there's there's just so many more teams ahead of them that are much more qualified. I would much rather see Cincinnati or BYU. Like, and, and that, that would make it fun. And here's the thing with those teams, all of those teams, Cincinnati, BYU, uh, Texas A&M, uh, the, the Pac-12, the Big 12, everyone right now is cheering for, if they know what's good for them, Alabama and Notre Dame to win out. Because things get a lot less complicated if you have an undefeated Alabama, undefeated Notre Dame, two lost Clemson, two lost Florida. Because then you can easily dismiss Clemson and Florida because they don't have a title and they have two losses. Where things get crazy is if Notre Dame were to lose a game or if Alabama were to lose a game to, you know, either Auburn or to 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 Florida, that really messes things up for the group of five and that really messes things up for the Pac-12. So we, I, at least I am pretty confident that one lost Notre Dame with a, a presumably a decent loss to Clemson in the, in the title game would get in over an undefeated Pac-12 champion because if you look at the Pac-12 schedule, none of them are playing tough schedules at all there's oh, two good teams company. and they're all garbage yeah. and they're playing seven games so i think the pac-12 can get in if alabama knocks off florida notre dame knocks off um clemson then the pac-12 could be that fourth team but these playoff scenarios are going to get interesting so the one i want to ask you because we just talked about oklahoma you're the committee you get to select between two teams for the final spot you can select a two-loss oklahoma who is a big 12 now champion or you could select a one-loss Big Ten champion. Who gets in? Ooh. 
Now we'll assume BYU and Cincy have lost a game and, and whatever. Okay. That that's really tough because you're going with a team that's nine and zero with a conference title win. Wait, did you say one loss? One loss. Big Ten one loss. So I, th- I think one, a one loss loses. Big Ten is instantly instantly out, no matter what. But if it's between that and a two loss Big Twelve, pretend uh, that's just our last two options here. Yeah, I mean, I I'd be much more inclined to go with an Oklahoma in that particular instance. Or even Texas, if it ends up being like Texas versus OU, and then sure. Texas wins out, whichever that that scenario would be. I they, they, there's just more data points. They they played a longer schedule, you know. They they kind of self cannibalize in, in in their own right, you know. Texas beating OU and you know, it, but OU you could, you could was it the vice versa? Yeah, OU beat Texas. Okay, all right, yeah, like eight but, overtimes. <laughs> True. There's. Uh, it's been such a, a wild year already. Sorry if uh, I, I misremembered something. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but I, I think all things considered, you, you have to go with the the more data points, and I right. I would definitely take a eight and two, well nine and two with a conference title, uh, Oklahoma over in nine and or eight and one, Oklahoma, Ohio State. So that that's my personal feelings on it. Because who is Ohio State going to play this year? Literally, who who are they playing? It's it's all uh, conference, and, and their conference is terrible. Right. Yeah, it's bad. It's bad. They're going to probably get Northwestern. I don't know if Wisconsin is on the schedule this year. I don't think they are. I think Michigan is their last big game, but don't quote me on that. Um, okay, so here's another counter-argument I've seen in favor of Oklahoma being put into the playoff. If your choices were a undefeated BYU or Cincinnati or a two-loss Oklahoma, the argument goes that we know, wink, wink, Oklahoma's really the better team, which is fair. But on resume, I don't know how you could put in a two-loss team over an undefeated team, even if that undefeated team is BYU. Mm-hmm. Where do you stand on that one? Yeah, I mean, talent-wise, obviously, you're going to go with, with Oklahoma. But the you know the game isn't played by talent, because if it was, then Texas or Miami would be and Florida State would all be in the in this in the conversation, but those are just perennial trash programs because they can get the four and five star commits all the time, but they can't put together a good season. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, Oklahoma, if you handled your business against what was it, Iowa State, yeah, if you handled and your Kansas business State. against, uh, yeah, like if if you handled your business in in at least one of those two games, then okay, then then we're open to conversation here, but. You know, you got you have BYU with uh, presumably NFL ready prospect at, at quarterback, um, and you know teams teams have you know inferior quote unquote teams have have surprised us before. Uh, you know, specifically, I'm thinking Boise State. Um, you know, TCU back when they were you know kind of a middling program. Now they're a little bit more established, but you know, there's there's definitely something to be said about you know those those mid-tier teams that that go undefeated and, and play their way into a into the playoff contention you know bcs contention back in the day with a couple of the teams i mentioned but come on you, i mean you would have to put a cincinnati or a byu ahead if the, assuming that they win out because they don't control their schedule by and mm-hmm. large especially in this year they just yeah. handled their schedule and they handled it in the, in the appropriate and proper manner so I would absolutely unequivocally go with with the the undefeated team over over Oklahoma in that given scenario. Exactly, and if and if you don't give it to them this year, when would you ever give it to them? You're almost saying that if you're not in a Power Five, you, there's no point in you playing college football. Yeah, which is 
I mean, I've made the argument here before, maybe we should be uh, a league of like 30 teams, but I think uh, I think I would agree with you. I have uh, two more things on this topic because, again, the rankings are coming out, so these discussions are going to matter. Tuesday um, night, correct? Yes, Tuesday night. So today is Sunday. Um, we're recording on Sunday. So uh, on Tuesday, the, the first committee rankings report. I anticipate Notre Dame will be number two. Uh, the AP kept Notre Dame number two, which I was skeptical about that. I thought they would see the Indiana win as a ranked win. They didn't. Um, so we are positive people. We think Notre Dame is going to run the table. But in the possible scenario, we lose to Clemson in a rematch. How do you feel about our chances of getting into the playoff with a loss? If it's by 14 points or less, I don't see any rational way that you could keep Notre Dame out. Well, I agree with one exception, and that's if Florida beats Alabama. Because mm-hmm. then you're looking at one loss Alabama versus one loss Notre Dame, and Alabama's got the Texas A&M win. We got the Clemson win, but they've played a tougher schedule. I could see the committee, especially where Alabama has, you know, built up credibility um, in in this era. I could see Alabama getting in ahead of us. But other than that, I I think Notre Dame is almost a lock to get into the playoff at this point. I I tend to agree. I mean, obviously, stranger things have happened. And and we can't get a, too far ahead of our skis because we got a hell of a matchup this weekend, which I'm confident about. But shit happens in in college football. But it, it, assuming that we at least run and go 11 and 0 into the uh, the you know the conference title game, if it's remotely close, uh, other than some crazy stuff happening in the landscape, I I think you're exactly correct. It's basically got to be a lock. Okay, last one on on, on playoff stuff. Who, and we're looking out, you know, we're way ahead of ourselves here, but who would your ideal opponent be in the semifinal? I don't care. I mean, don't care. I I would say, um, oh, geez, I I don't know. Give me, give me a, a, a scenario of a, of a one, two, three, four seeding, um, with, with, uh, the two next men in. So give me, give me seeds one through six. And and so then I'll, I'll kind of deduce from there. So I'll preface this by saying the problem is is that Notre Dame's ideal matchup has to come if we're the one seed or if Ohio State somehow loses and mm-hmm. knocks themselves out. So there's no three seed either. So in this scenario, we're looking at Alabama, Notre Dame as your one, two. Mm-hmm. And then it's either Ohio State three is the most likely scenario. I think we're headed for that. But if not, mm-hmm. we'll say Pac-12 champion. So either... Oregon or my personal favorite USC. I think that would be phenomenal in a in a college football semifinal. Awesome. Um, Cincinnati, BYU, Texas A and M, and then maybe Oklahoma. We'll just throw them in there. Okay, and I'll, I'll even throw this in there. Let's say that we lose to Clemson in the title game, close game, but we mm-hmm. we end up losing. We still have to get in. We have to, okay. uh, assuming that there's like catastrophic meltdown across the rest of the landscape. In that case, I would say it's probably going to be Notre Dame number four against number one at that point, which would be us versus Bama. That would be a, a, obviously a tougher matchup, but if we're going to compete for a national title, that 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 game is coming one way or another. Yeah, let's face we're, it. we're going through Bama at, at one yeah. way or another. Yeah, so um, you know we're not we're not going to play Clemson three times. That's just not going to work out. So. I would say I'm I'm honestly confident against an Ohio State team. 
Yeah, Justin too. Fields did not look good. He nope. did not look good. What three picks or two? Three, three picks. Three I think picks. one of them were was kind of sketchy, like not really his fault. But yeah, I think I was a little nervous about Ohio State. I thought Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson were the top three in the in the country. Notre Dame has proven that we are in that group, and I think Ohio State has proven that they might actually not be in that group. That my perception of Notre Dame, Ohio State discrepancy is actually a lot closer than I thought. Alabama is the big team that I think is is the one to worry about. But we know we can beat Clemson. I think we can beat Ohio State. And I think Ohio State is the most likely outcome. But in a weird world where Ohio State, let's say, gets knocked off, um, let's say Michigan beats Ohio State, and then Ohio State beats Northwestern, and the teams that get in become, like, Oregon or literally <laughs> BYU. You know what I mean? That would be that would be fun. Um but who cares, right? And I'm sure the listeners are are, are feeling I, the same way, right? Just get I us think in. You would, uh, I, I'm honestly more afraid of BYU than I am of Oregon. I think we would rinse Oregon. Yeah, I, I agree. Because Oregon doesn't have the quarterback anymore, and BYU does. And if there's anything I hammer, it's be afraid of quarterbacks that are good. Um, yeah, and, and just to kind of piggyback off that and to continue on with the conversation – the only two teams I'm really afraid of at this point, and and don't get me wrong, Clemson is is great, especially with Lawrence. And ten ten times we play them, it's probably split five five, maybe six four. I think that we prove that we definitely belong there. I'm a little sketched out and a little bit afraid of Florida because Trask is really freaking good. So it would be a, an awesome matchup, and I think that's probably a one possession game. Um. I, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't at, at the very least concerned about Trask and, and that you know Gators team. I think it's a really good point. Um, the Gators defense is a little sketch too, um, but the SEC this year's defenses are like Alabama's weakness is their defense. Ole Miss put up like sixty points on them. Oh yeah. Um, same thing with Florida. So I think we, I think we'd beat Florida, but I think that would be like you said a really a really tight game. One I'd be afraid of. I'm not afraid of A and M. I don't think Mond no. is as good. Kellen Mond can't he can't play in like big pressure situations. Yeah. So this is good. This is a good conversation. Listeners at home, you know, tweet at us what you think, um, what you where you think um the committee is right now, who you think's gonna get in, who you'd love to see. Um but at the end of the day, you know, we're Notre Dame. We will beat anybody that we have to play. Knock on wood. Um and, and that's all that matters. Just get us into the, the playoff. So let's move on to your favorite topic in the absolute world recruiting i'll just let everybody know if you haven't been paying attention notre dame's recruiting has been on hot fire so in 2020 a big part of notre dame's strategy is to get kids on campus now i've been to the notre dame campus i understand why that's a recruiting tactic it is perhaps the most beautiful place in the world next to a really gross town but whatever um (laughs) the campus is beautiful and it's a very big part of getting recruits to notre dame with the pandemic, that hasn't happened, and it has hurt us in recruiting, and that's been well documented throughout the summer. Things have turned around because the season has started. Kids are allowed to take unofficial visits. Uh, we're going to have some for the last home game against Syracuse, and we've we've absolutely been flipping people like crazy, getting commits out of nowhere. We hit, I think, three or four in a week. So, Steve, I'll let you take away with it. Give us your thoughts. Yeah, for sure. And and it's crazy to think that in in a way, because of COVID because of the Pac-12 shutting down, because of the Big Ten shutting down, it's actually adversely helped us out, quite quite so. Um, it was a great week. And, and like you said, we were 
on fire, almost like uh, the lava that you will find out in Hawaii. Speaking of Hawaii, we did pick up a commit, three-star. Uh, his name is... A, <laughs> I'm going to mess this up, and I sincerely apologize, obviously. Uh, his name is Kahanu Kia, and he... Let me pull up my resources here. I have an old computer, so forgive me. Are you looking right. for stars? <laughs> yeah, it's not pulling up here on my end because I... He's a three-star linebacker. Yeah, I, I knew he was a uh, three-star. I, was, I wasn't sure if he was a hybrid defensive end slash linebacker. I kinda... believe so. I, I heard he was a Viper kind of position, and mm -hmm. uh, he's a, he's an almost an underrated kind of guy because he is out in, in Hawaii, and mm -hmm. they... You know, you don't. You tend to let those guys go under your radar, for sure. And and almost in a, in a manner of speaking, kind of like uh, Maris Liafu, Li, Liafu, however you would pronounce his name. And again, I apologize for for screwing that up. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, just because you see three stars does not mean by any means that we, you know, this kid can't ball. Uh, athletic specimen. Uh, he's got good size, from my understanding, speed as well. And and that's. You know, size and speed are the, the the intangibles that you need. You can always teach someone to learn a playbook, to learn a blitz package, to learn to, to read a quarterback. You can you can teach that. You can't teach speed and size. So that's that's awesome. Um, next up, we have the former Notre Dame commit who flipped over to that piece of shit school in Los Angeles, that hellhole <laughs> city, in that hellhole state, and then he decided after seeing uh, the fact that the Pac-12 is a bunch of pansies and that there's no competition out there and that at the first sign of anything going wrong, they'll shut down the entire season. Philip Riley from Florida, uh, six foot, almost 200 pounds uh, as a cornerback, four star. That's a huge get. It, it can't even be under, it can't be understated enough or overstated. I'm sorry, uh, enough of, of how incredible of a, of a commit that Philip Riley is. And if we can just keep him until signing day and get him on campus, get him early enrolled, like this is this, he has like that Julian love type of feel where it's like, you literally are just basically shutting down one side of the field, uh, which is awesome. And, and there's, there's other recruits beneath him. Like uh, Ryan Barnes comes to mind where it's like, you know, Ryan Barnes might take a little bit longer to develop, but man-to-man -man coverage, that guy is in like an island, everyone is saying, even though yeah, he's only I a three-star. I wanted to get to Barnes at some point, too. I've heard a lot of things that this is the most underrated recruit, perhaps. Him and uh, and is it Joe Alt from Minnesota, I believe? Yes. Um, yep. These these are the two who, for some reason, have flown under the radar. And had this not been, been a COVID year, they would have like flown off the ratings and would have really, really made an impact there. So that's, that's some guys to keep an eye on for sure. For sure. And Barnes to a point almost has like a Kyle Hamilton feel about him. Cause remember Kyle Hamilton was a three star safety and he worked his way up to the, basically the number one safety in the country, five star out of Atlanta, Georgia. And, and Kyle, I love him with all my heart. I love, I, I think I have more affection for him than I do some, some of my actual family members. Uh, so this, the fact that Ryan Barnes kind of has that sort of feel to him where it's like, you know, this kid literally does not give up catches in man-to-man -man coverage as at the corner position. And you think about him coming onto campus with Philip Riley and all the other talent that we've been building over the course of time, like this might, we might become the new DBU, which would be really awesome. Um, then we have, uh, Joshua Bryan. He used he committed originally to Colorado. He's now uh, flipped over 
to the uh, Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Let me. Now, what get... position does he play for the listeners at home? Yep, I'm pulling that up now. <laughs> He's a kicker. <laughs> he He's is a kicker. a kicker. And uh, six foot one ninety. He's the number seven kicker overall in the nation. So now, um, I have a counterpoint to that. There is a famous kicker guru who does recruitings as well, and he has given Brian the first ever like six star rating for a kicker. He says he is ready to start day one. So some experts out there um, actually go against the 24-7 rankings and say that this guy is actually the best in the country. Perfect. That, that's obviously great news. So he's out of California, um, you know, out of Chatsworth, Cal- uh, California. So for us to go into that territory with all the you know the talented schools out there and, and pick out a recruit, especially um, you know a kicker, is, is pretty cool. And uh, this would probably be I, I'd have to imagine Doors last na- uh, last year here, or is he a redshirted senior or a redshirted junior? I'm sorry. Um, either way, he would have eligibility because of COVID, right? Yeah, so, so I expect so, him to come back. Yeah, so probably, uh, yeah, Dora will will probably come back, but then that gives this kid a, a full year to get onto campus, learn the culture, get onto the team, you work out, work on his accuracy. Because from my understanding, he has the power. Um, so it's just a matter of you know getting the rhythm, getting to know the guys, and getting acquainted with the locker room. So uh, it, it it may seem minuscule, but it's it's always a good pickup when you can get a guy and especially have him on on campus for a full year before he even needs to kick a ball because true freshman kickers in, in the NCAA, it's just a, a horror show. So uh, it's good that we're able to get him on a year early. Um, yeah. And then last but not least, we have uh, just recently this week, Caleb Johnson. He did originally commit to, uh, to Auburn offensive tackle out of Ocala, Florida, uh, six foot seven, 295 pounds, He's only a three-star prospect, but again, like with that sort of size, you, you think about the University of Notre Dame, our coaching system, our our pipeline, basically from the offensive line to the NFL, has been incredible. So, you know, there's obviously going to be a couple of guys ahead of him, but uh, he's probably going to see the field as a red-shirted sophomore, so three years from now, and by that point, with his size and his talent. It can only go up. Same with Joe Alt, you know, out of Minnesota, like you mentioned, uh, you know, six foot seven, two hundred eighty-three pounds, uh, out of Minneapolis. So he he's another three-star guy that you know it might take these guys some time to get into the lineup, but they're just the intangibles are there. They're just so massive that they're going to be able to move bodies. So that's all the exciting stuff. That that's just from the past week alone. And yeah, for sure. I, I, can I jump in there for a second because we're we, yeah. on the topic of offensive linemen. Um, a guy that committed right around the time we start the podcast, we had that big offensive line group. Uh, we're going to see him for the first time against North Carolina at center to make up for the, uh, Patterson injury. I believe Zeke Correll is starting. Do you, you, did you hear about this? Uh, yeah. So I knew that, that Patterson went down. looks like it's the rest of the season, kind of a, an awkward broken foot. Uh, but yeah, Zeke was, was very highly recruited four star guy i if if i'm not mistaken he was also out of minnesota if i remember I think correctly so yeah uh, cuz cuz there was zeke Carell and then zach like they they had like almost equivalent names similar names <laughs> yeah yeah so uh but yeah i mean again this is kind of a just a plug and play system where we have an embarrassment of riches on the offensive line and it feel and it feels like we're only getting richer but i 
yes, uh, Jarrett Patterson has been a huge, huge, you know, development in this in this year at the center position especially you think about the guys around him how talented they've been you you might think that the center position might be something that uh opposing defenses could attack but between him and Kyron Williams not much is coming up the middle yeah that's a good point Kyron Williams is a blocker um so with regard to recruiting uh, the current status using a 24/7 composite rankings which takes the average of of a bunch of uh, networks has Notre Dame eighth in the country. Um, we have 23 commits, but we're expected to lose defensive end Abiara. Although I wonder with the way Notre Dame's playing, if they may actually hold on to him. He's kind of a, a three, four star defensive end. Um, what I want to talk about left talk about, sorry, with respect to recruiting is what's left on the board for Notre Dame. So if you remember in 2012 for the 2013 class, Notre Dame picked up like three or four major recruits near the end of that season as we were heading towards the BCS title game. So we picked up um, Eddie Vanderdose, who ended up transferring right in that spring, picked up Max Redfield, I believe. So that was a really big um, recruiting cycle, at least. Maybe it didn't pan out, but lots of talent there. This year's a little different. There's not as much, you know, five-star guys out there for us. But I just want to go through the list of people who Notre Dame are legitimately in on. And remember, this last week we picked up four commits. Three of them were flipped, and and that's kind of the the trend that's happening here. So the first and foremost, Notre Dame apparently offered him a, a scholarship not that long ago, and uh, things have really progressed fast. Defensive tackle Kelvin Gillum Jr., he is committed to Oklahoma. Um Ironically, that's who we're supposed to lose Abiara to, so that's one to keep an eye on. If we can get a flip there, apparently he's really high on the Irish. Um, I don't know if you've uh, had a chance to follow him at all or see any of his his highlights, um, but um, definitely someone to watch going forward because that defensive tackle spot is one where we keep improving, it feels like, um, throughout the Kelly era. Um, next, uh, Theron, or Taron Johnson. Uh, three-star cornerback. He's a Northwestern commit. Um, 24-7's crystal ball has it actually 100% likely to go Notre Dame. So we could get a flip there. We have, I believe, three corners in this class. Um, this class has improved um, from last year. It's a good class, but you, you almost want to add another talent in there to really make that elite. Because if there's any weakness, I think, on this team, it's probably corner. Um, so that's one to keep an eye on there. Um, the big one... Um, Massive, massive, massive. Donovan Edwards, running back out of Michigan. He is a borderline five-star running back. Uh, Notre Dame, of course, missed out on a big running back talent. Um, Will Shipley, I believe his name was, went to Clemson. Um, But we are in on Donovan Edwards. So the story there is Donovan Edwards is from Michigan. Um, Michigan has been leading the recruiting. Um, Ohio State was in it, but Ohio State's got a, a log jam there. So it's been Michigan's to lose. It was expected that he was going to go to Michigan. He's from the state. And then, as you guys so gladfully know, Michigan is on pace for a three-win season. It's a disaster there. Harbaugh might not stay. So there has been a big push for Donovan Edwards uh, at Notre Dame to get him. Apparently, he is supposed to come on campus for the Syracuse game. So there's a good chance that uh, that could be... He's not committed yet, so there's a good chance we could just win that battle in the last in the last few months of the recruiting cycle here. Um, another big one, Steve, I'm sure you're familiar with, is Sierra Wright, um, athlete corner, uh, four-star. He's from, I believe, California. He's yes. USC-leaning. He hasn't committed anywhere. USC's the favorite. But again, 
Well, USC has actually had a decent start to the season, but with Notre Dame performing so well and with the recruiting on hot fire, that's one that we could that we could definitely pick up. Um, and then one last one of the realistic. I know there's there's maybe another running back out there, but the last big one Notre Dame could get is another Hawaiian, Titus Mokiao Atimamalala. I hope I said that right. Uh, I believe that's another linebacker out of Hawaii. Um, still early in the process, I think, for him, but um, that's one that Notre Dame could get their hands on as well, which would be, I think, 27 uh, this class. And if you're wondering, because Notre Dame's usually way under that, Notre Dame's usually 23 to 25. Um, in COVID, every senior has been given a year of eligibility, and if they take it, they do not count against the scholarship count. So we can actually afford to have a bigger class than usual. So now that I've gone through them, Steve, do you have any kind of thoughts on them? Which ones are realistic? How many think we can pick up? Yeah. Donovan Edwards is definitely in play, and it'd be huge to get, grab him. He's the number three running back in the nation uh, as, as it stands at his position. Um, number 36 national uh, as a recruit, so he's a four-star, but anytime you're close to the top 30, you're, you're right on the border, so he would probably be, you know, on paper, the, the biggest get that we get. Uh, you know, right ahead of of Blake Fisher and Tyler Buckner, as of you know, as as what two four seven sports would uh, uh, would would rate them as. So Donovan Edwards would be huge, and that'd be that'd be really interesting to think about our our running backfield and over the course of the next three years almost has a vibe of like uh, the Miami Hurricanes in the early two thousands <laughs> when they just were just an absolute factory at running back going to the NFL. Because you think about Kyron going into his junior year, true sophomore of. Uh, uh, oh, jeez, Chris Tyree, Chris Tyree, uh, and then and then you got Donovan Edwards as a true freshman who who probably honestly wouldn't get too much time, but at at the very least he'll have plenty of time to develop, uh, build up. He's and, he's five. And at the very least he wouldn't have to go to Michigan. <laughs> also correct. If anytime you cannot go to Michigan in in life in general, I think you're probably going to be winning at something. Um, but on, I think more than anything, I'd be more excited if we were to to land Sire right. Uh, he's from Los Angeles, so it's going to be hard to get him out of there. But he's probably he's the number six overall cornerback in the nation. Uh, so you you pair him uh, with a guy like Philip Riley. It's uh, on top of all the other talent that we have. Again, it's just like that's when we get into DBU sort of territory. So those are those are the two guys that I'm highest on uh, originally, and, and they're b- the guys below that we've discussed. Uh, you know, Adam Alala, you know, they would all add plenty of depth and talent in their own right. But those two, I think, would be not just you know depth guys, but game breakers. And game breakers is where we need to compete on the national level. And to go into those states. And and grab those guys, you know, to go into Michigan, to go into uh, to go into California and pull borderline five five star guys who were previously committed to our bitter rivals, or leaning towards our bitter rivals more accurately. That would be a huge get for us. Yeah, I agree for sure. I, I think if I look at who I want the most here, um, so obviously Donovan Edwards would look great because it makes the recruiting numbers look better we jump up in class um, rankings but that stuff doesn't really matter at the end of the day obviously it's what happens afterwards Um, and a running back is the position I think that matters I think the least because we're so well developed there and a lot of it is predicated on offensive line so for me the most important get if we could is probably also the least likely and I think that's again like you said CR Wright um, in Los Angeles 
to add another corner to this great class would be huge. I think Notre Dame takes three of these players out. What do you think? I think you're pretty much right. Uh, I, I think it's between right and uh and and the running back i i think we're probably going to be taking one of those two but i think we go down ticket and take the rest yeah i think right um or edwards then i think we flip gillum and then if we get right we might pull up on johnson and then might go after titus a little more and something weird could happen too you could have a a new development soon. But at this point, this is where the recruiting is standing for 2021, which is of course the, the next class. One question I want to ask you, uh, if you want to jump in ahead, I'll, I'll let you go. I did want to make a really quick point before you did ask me that question. Uh, just breaking down our current hard commits <clears throat> by state. We have four commits from the state of California, three commits from the state of Georgia, uh, two from Florida, two from Ohio, and currently one from Michigan that we're obviously working on. Are there any good college football teams in any of those states? I don't know. Notre Dame's the only team that exists in my mind. Yeah, facts. <laughs> but it, it's just really cool to see that on the national scale, we can go into SEC territory. We can go into the heart of the Big Ten, uh, and, and obviously we can dominate the ACC as we're currently doing. It's just really awesome to see that we can be very competitive at the national level, which we always have been, but especially in this year, it just feels like it's it's going to give us some sort of edge and there's going to be dividends paid down the line. I also believe a big defensive tackle commit, uh, Rubio, is out of um, Texas. And Texas is another state where it's huge if we can pick up some recruits there, just given how many um, talented high school kids there are. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, it, what was the question you had for me? Yes. So before we move on, um, I want to ask you, 2022, you're the recruiting guru. Do you have any early thoughts on this class, just so the listeners can get kind of a heads up of what's coming and what to expect after this class is is signed and and sealed? Yeah, for sure. Let me uh, just get everything pulled up in front of me here. Uh, So currently, let me go to the target. Lowest computer in the world. Enter Jeopardy noise. Yeah, legit. Um, I mean, we we are in play currently for a five-star guy in Will Johnson, who is out of Michigan, and he is a six foot three, one hundred ninety-pound cornerback, uh, number four cornerback in the nation, a number eight overall national recruit. So uh, once more, <laughs> Michigan sucking is committing? huge. Yeah. Can you can you see him committing to Michigan at this point? Like it, it's like that the fact that we can go into Michigan and pull a five star guy in potentially back to back years is, is so huge. So uh, it, it, I would say we're an outside chance to get him because, you know, Ohio State's probably going to be in play there. They have a great DB history. But it, the fact that we're even in the conversation and he's warm to us is, is huge at the start. I would also uh, just say um, before I'll let you gather your thoughts there before. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing with Michigan sucking has opened up the room for Notre Dame, not just in 2021 class, like in Donovan Edwards, if anything, I think it helps them more in 2022, especially with that cornerback. That's the first person I thought of when the idea of Michigan sucking, impacting recruiting came to my mind was there's a five-star corner we can go get because this is the most important year for a recruit is usually the, as I understand it, the junior year, not the senior year. Um, so 
the player now is in his, his junior year. And if Michigan isn't, you know, competitive or attractive, Notre Dame can swoop in there and become the leader for this recruit. And then with a strong next season, lock that up. So that's definitely in play. Um, so that's another thing with Michigan being poor. It helps us a lot in, in many recruiting cycles. Yeah, for sure. And and what I'd say also, what I'm I'm looking at uh, preliminarily from from this uh, perspective class, or at least some some of our targets, is we're going hard off of we're going hard after linebackers. And you know, we we've definitely made a point to go after skill position guys, right? We, we're picking up the corners. We're we we got the safeties in last year. We're getting the corners for this year. We uh, we have the wide receivers coming up for this year or for currently in this class, 2021. Um, it, but you know. To to fill in the defensive line, which we did last year, but you know, that was nice. Now it's it's time to start getting the linebackers at the next level. And and two guys that stand out here are two four star recruits, six foot three, two hundred twenty pounds, out of uh, Hawaii. His name is once more sorry for botching, but Teravaru Tafiti. He's a, a a linebacker out of Hawaii, and then there's also another here. I want to make sure I pronounce his name correctly. Uh, Sebastian Cheeks, uh, who's right out of Evanston, Illinois, which is uh, you know, he's six two, two hundred pounds. Evanston, Illinois. He's he's not going to Northwestern. Let's just face the facts. <laughs> so so who who's he going to go to? Uh, it's 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 probably going to be Minnesota, Michigan, Wisconsin, um, Ohio State. Or, or Notre Dame. Those are those. That's probably a short list. I haven't even looked at it, but I'm I'm just making the assumption. Just and I think I think Notre Dame is leading for him too. If I understand that correctly, we're the favorites to land him. Yeah. Um, as you should. Anyone in the state of Indiana or Illinois should be automatic Notre Dame territory. If you want them, they should. You should have them. For sure. So, so though, if we can get, if we can just start building up the linebacker position too, and it's not that we don't have anyone good right now, uh, because we definitely have some prospects. Osita Inakwu, I'm, I'm thinking off the top of my head. Uh, obviously, Kaiser. Maris Leofau, uh, you know, exactly. So th- we we have plenty of guys that are currently in the system, but to get these freshmen on campus 2022, you're thinking about again just adding depth after depth after depth and. I'm I'm just looking uh, in my mind at the depth chart of what we have currently thinking about next year, who's returning and thinking about, you know, 2022 and beyond. I'm not seeing any holes. I'm not seeing any holes. Like the defensive line is going to be incredible. The secondary is going to be incredible. We're building on the linebacking core. The offensive line we know is going to just yeah. be perpetually excellent. Just Especially speaking. this class, right? We have four or five. I think we have five OL recruits Absolutely. in this class alone, two of which are like the top of their position. Like Blake Fisher is a top five, I think, offensive tackle in the country. Um, Rocco Spindler, which we talked about earlier in the year, is a is the number one guard in the country. You got Alt, who is underrated. Caleb Johnson, who has actually gone up in the rankings. He's in some places a four-star. And then... Um, there's one other person I'm forgetting off the top of my head, uh, Coogan. Um, so you have a lot, you have five offensive line recruits already within a program who just two years ago had in a big offensive line class and last year had a, a really high four-star offensive lineman. This program is not going anywhere. We're here to stay. And there's one last, and this basically ties the entire thing together because we've we've gone through position by position how well we've recruited this particular class, 2021, and even last year, we did very, very well in getting skill position guys at running back and wide receiver. And all of this 
is coming to a head with quote unquote five star borderline five star quarterback Tyler Buckner. It, it, it just I mean you think about all the freaking talent, all the gaps are being filled, all the depth is being added, all the positions are just being fortified every step of the way. And then if we get our guy at QB, who is just an absolute baller and gamer, and as as we've discussed, I think it might have been pre-podcast, but he's going to be on campus early in spring, Tyler Buckner. How does this team not, at the very least, contend for a title several times between the years 2021 and 2025? Well, it is. It's a lot of development too, right? And that's something we've talked about a lot on on both Twitter and here. Is it, it, having these guys is great. You have to develop them. And the biggest issues with quarterback, uh, Buckner's been robbed of a five star. I will definitely maintain that till the day I die. And he'll be an early enrollee, so he won't have really a chance to boost it. But those don't matter. Those are just rankings on what people think. Um, not to scare you, but Brandon Wimbush was rated right around the same point is him they were both high high borderline five stars um don't that, do that. won't matter i'm sorry <laughs> here, 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 okay i'll make it i'll make it up in a, a sincere apology to everyone go and watch tyler buckner's highlights and you will thank me later he is like kyler murray but taller unreal throwing on the run maybe the fastest quarterback i've ever seen play I don't know if he's going to come in right away, but Steve's definitely right. He is the 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 thing that ties all this class together. This class in 2021 is huge for receivers. Three massive receivers. We're in on a five star next year. This is it's it's getting legit here. The the Notre Dame Kelly success pinnacle. We're still on the upswing, and I know oh, Kelly's sure. been here 11 years, and you know that's a long time. But we're only now getting to the best points of his at least recruiting and I think coaching, everything is better now than it's ever been. And that's something to take pride in. So we can feel good about that. And I'll let you say any last words before we move on to, uh, you know, predictions in, in North Carolina. No, I, I think we covered it in great detail. Um, you know, just between the, the recent commits, you know, four in the past week, and then uh, with the entire class that we've already built, you know, last year, this year, there's just so much on the horizon to be excited for. And and you're exactly correct. We can't get the, the cart ahead of the horse in terms of expecting every single guy to be an NFL, you know, first round pick the second they get out of campus. But the point is, is you know, we've had three really good classes in a row. And if we can compound about, uh, expound upon that uh, and in the future, it's hard to see us not being perennial top 10 team. And we always tend to outperform our recruiting rankings too, right? Like I find if you were to go back and re-rank the recruiting classes, if you see any of these kind of articles, Notre Dame's usually way ahead of where they were oh, yeah. ranked I mean, at if, the time. If, if recruiting classes were like the, the end-all be-all, then Texas and Ole Miss would be like the number one and two teams. In the <laughs> right. Tennessee wouldn't be perennially overrated. Um, okay, so we're all good there. Let's get into the, the prediction game here. Um, big news for you. You've tied P-Wagon for second. You've made a huge comeback. Um, I'm barely holding on to a first-place lead. Let's get into this week. Five games. Give me your predictions. First one, Iowa State at Texas. Uh, just going with the Longhorns. I, I mean, obviously, Brock Purdy and, and the Iowa State Cyclones are uh, a, a damn good team, uh, but they're still uh, they're, they're still one of those middlings that they can put any team on upset alert anytime. But I think that Texas has a lot of momentum recently. So uh, Iowa I'm State with can. 
Iowa State can put a lot of teams on upset at any time, except Notre Dame because we smash them in bowl games. Beat the shit out of them. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that the, the Longhorns, horns up, baby, we're, uh, they're, they're taking this one. Yeah, I agree with you completely here. Uh, I think Purdy's going to be a decent draft prospect. I think Ellinger's overrated as a draft prospect, but as teams, I kind of like Ellinger with the, the Texas team. So I'm going to agree with you there. Longhorns to win, I'll say by, you know, 6 to 10. Um, second game, Pac-12, Friday afternoon, 0-2 Stanford at 0-2 Cal. <laughs> the sad bowl. Um I'm just going to go with Stanford because like, I want them to be relevant when we play them. Not obviously not this year, but in the future, (laughs) but it's like Stanford has burned you twice this year. That's all I'm going to say. You're all two on Stanford predictions. Yeah. So I naturally have to keep going back to the well because eventually the law of averages is going to go in my direction. (laughs) So uh, Stanford, please, for the love of God, win a game. And so that way you can get some decent recruits. So that way it's meaningful when we play you in the future. Yeah, I think, Cal is favored because they're at home, but I'm going to go with Stanford because Stanford played Oregon tight. Stanford played Colorado tight. They lost both of those, but those are two of the better Pac-12 teams. Meanwhile, Cal got blown out by both UCLA and Oregon State, so I'm going to go Stanford. Um, you call that the sad bowl. So let's talk about the toilet bowl. <laughs> <laughs> the Literally 05, two piece of shit programs. Yes. People... I won't say fans because fans, I, I don't, I don't blame them for what the programs do. But let's just get into it. Zero and five, Penn State, just trash against two and three, and really should have been one and four. Michigan in the big house. Who are you taking? Uh, this is going to be Michigan's last win of the season. Wow, I have flipped on this back and forth. My first thought was Penn State is not going to win a game this year. My second thought was, well, hold on. Penn State actually played Ohio State and Indiana fairly tight. I mean, the, Indiana definitely, that was an overtime. And Ohio State, they were within, you know, two scores. They weren't that bad. And then whatever's happened lately is inexplicable. But then I think about it at the same time of, well, hold on. Michigan has just went with the backup quarterback um, who's way better than the starter. Um, and performed a lot better against Rutgers. So they're going to go with that quarterback. So I flipped on this one. At the end of the day, I'm going to go with what I want to happen. So I'm going to take a Penn State victory because I will never cheer for Michigan in my life. Yeah. Um, and and let the record show that uh, P-Wagon does also agree. And he also took Texas for what it's worth. Okay. So big one here. Going from one scum program to another. Colorado at USC, two undefeated teams, I believe, in the Pac-12. Who do you got? Uh, I like Colorado. I, I do like them as a program. It would be nice to see them be relevant. They actually won the title the year I was born, 1990. Um, titles were a little bit fakakt back then, but it is what it is. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I would like to see Colorado win. You know, screw that piece of crap program in that piece of crap city out west but i i do think that the uh do think that the trojans pull this one out unfortunately um i'm not rooting i'm not picking of what i want to happen i'm picking what i think will happen yeah you're pretty tough on la i've never been there so i have no strong opinions on that or the state of california well, I've never just been in case you're from either, but I'm in Boston, so I'm like required to right by default. I just we we have some listeners. I think most of our listeners are actually from California. So <laughs> <laughs> you guys are great. We love you. Great state. Um, 
I'm going to take SC here, and the reason that is they barely escaped Arizona State. They barely escaped Arizona. But then they beat Utah quite convincingly, and I think Slovis has kind of got things under control, so I'm going to go with the Trojans there. Um, Let's get to the last one. The Iron Bowl, for some reason, is being played this week when no other games are because welcome to 2020. Auburn at Alabama. Steve, wishful thinking? Wishful thinking. Yeah. Uh, War Eagle, just just because chaos will be just so much fun. It would be really, really funny to see Bo Nix, who is just not that good and so overrated, to just go in. Is this gonna, game going to be in, uh, in Auburn, or is it going to be in Tuscaloosa? Tuscaloosa. To go into Tuscaloosa and beat uh, Alabama would be so, so funny to watch. I, I mean, it, it probably would work better for us if Alabama won, but I, I am rooting for chaos here, so War Eagle. Yeah, I'm. I call this my free Steve loss pick of the week. I can always trap you into one of them. Uh, <laughs> I'm taking Alabama because I'm no fool. I know Alabama's going to run this. Although nobody's better at beating Alabama than Auburn, so we'll give them credit there. I hope. I hope the War Eagle prevails, but I think Alabama's just getting things together at a perfect time in the season. Their Kentucky win was impressive, although it was Kentucky. So we'll see about that one. Um, just, and that's it. Yep. Can we just stop on one point that I'm fixating on? Can Auburn actually pick one mascot? Is it War Eagle or is it Tigers? Like, make a decision. And there's probably, like, some some story behind it, and there's probably something sad and, and sentimental. But, like, come on. Like, grow up. Be adults. Pick. It's like if you have two teams, you have none. Pick pick a Pick a mascot. Okay, so to an Auburn fan who just had to listen to that, that is what it feels like when you guys say join a conference, okay? That's the equivalent. <laughs> <laughs> that type of just ignorant, just, ah, whatever. Oh, That's yeah, what I mean, that, I'm fired from the hip here with ignorant takes, but yeah, it, it spices up. The variety is the spice of life. I know a lot of my college football history. I actually don't know the reason behind War Eagle, um, but you know what? Let's just let's just root for Auburn collectively here because Alabama is the worst. Facts. All right, let's get into the big one here. North Carolina. I thought we would definitely get into this sooner, but recruiting is so important. Um, and also because P Wagon's not here, we're allowed to talk about recruiting. So <laughs> for sure. Uh, the Tar Heels are ranked 25th in the AP poll, 23rd in the coaches poll. I expect the committee to put them somewhere in the 20s. Um, they're 6-2 and two on the year. They've beaten Syracuse, Boston College, Virginia Tech, North Carolina State, Duke, and Wake Forest. Hilariously, they have lost to Florida State, which may be Florida State's only win other than that F- FCS school. And they've also lost to Virginia. Both games were very tight. If you guys recall, North Carolina was ranked high to start the season. They made it as high as, I think, number eight into AP polls. Um, it's a very, very potent offense. Um, it is actually the most efficient offense, I believe, in the ACC. They average 43 points per game, and they give up 34 points per game. I'm sorry for these mediocre stats, but that's all we have because I can't code. Um, Notre Dame, on the other hand, averages 37 points per game and gives up only 16. Um, One thing to worry about North Carolina, though, is they're so prolific that they're averaging over 560 yards of offense a game. So just keep that in mind. That's an average. That's not even high or low. That's what they average. Um, 
I just want to get into players to watch because I actually did a little bit of research for North Carolina because as we said before, this is the other big game of the season. We knew this coming into the year that North Carolina was going to be a good team. Players to watch, um, Chaz Surratt, I don't know how to pronounce that, Surratt. Um, he's a linebacker. He leads the team in tackles. He's also Dane Brugler's um, top 50 draft prospect for the season. So he's a talent. That's an NFL talent there to watch out for. He's going to be leading that defense. Um hopefully to nothing because you ain't stopping this offensive line. Um, hopefully Tommy Tremble just puts him through a wall. I think he will too, actually. That's what I believe my, my crystal <laughs> ball says. Um, so North Carolina is both a run and a throwing type of team. They do both. They're well-balanced. They have a two-headed monster in the running game. So the, the two uh, running backs are Williams and Carter. They average almost 50-50 touches a game. They're both over 800 yards, I believe. Um, really, really prolific running backs. So expect the run, but also expect the pass. They're a very good passing team as well. In fact, wide receiver Deami Brown is their number one. He currently on this season has over 800 yards and eight touchdowns, so he is their go-to. He's by far their most targeted and most successful receiver. So that'll be one to keep an eye on. Um, I wonder who's going to get the assignment, if it'll be uh, McLeod, Bracey, who was kind of benched, or if they'll go with um, Clarence Lewis. Clarence Lewis. Um, I was going to say Dante Vaughn just to tra- traumatize you. Um, or if they just stick to their boundaries and they don't change. So I'll let you get in here before I go on anymore. What do you think of North Carolina and how worried are you for this game? Yeah, And, and the quarterback, Sam Howell, correct? Sam Howell. And that that's I have some stats on that, too. I, I was going to get to that later. But, yeah, he's he's the quarterback there. Yeah, and and yeah, they they're definitely potent for sure um, against by and large inferior teams. So it's going to be curious to see how they're going to be able to match up against Notre Dame, especially since we have a unique defense in the four two five sack. It's uh, something that is is kind of seldom seen around college football and, and football in general. Uh, I, I don't know. It, it's it's definitely going to be a curious matchup. I and anyone. You know, worth their salt is definitely going to put Notre Dame on an upset alert this week. You know, it's it's not out of the realm of possibility, but I I do think that you know their defense they they might have uh, some standouts here and there, but by and large, uh, a lot of their games have been like high scoring shootouts. So I'm not particularly afraid of their defense by any means. Um, it's just a matter of their offense versus our defense, mano y mano, who's going to be the better you know the better unit on that in that particular day and. You know, I'm taking Clark Lee, Clark Lay, however you say it. Uh, well, one of these days we'll probably get that nailed down. I doubt it, though. Um, you know, his defensive scheme, his blitz, blitz packages, and the fact that we have JOK and and Kyle Hamilton always helps. So I, I'm I'm feeling confident. We're probably you know, this is probably going to look a little bit more of a bend don't break type of uh, defensive scheme rather than dominant shutdown. I uh, think. You know, Think uh, instead of thinking that this game is going to go a lot more like Pittsburgh, it's probably going to be a lot more like Clemson. But all things considered, I think that uh, both of our units on the offensive and defensive side of the football have the advantage. It's just a matter of execution. Yeah, with respect to the defense, I'd say they've had two mediocre performances this year. Um, of course, the Boston College being the last one, and they've bounced back well 
Um, I'm not concerned about the defense at all. And something I think, and even we saw in the Boston College game, is that the pass rushing group is getting better and better. They've been putting a lot of pressure throughout the season, but they're actually hitting home more. And and that's a good time to peak in the season. Um, North Carolina is dangerous. There's no doubt about that. I'll do the tail of the tape for the quarterbacks here. So, obviously, our, our Heisman hopeful, Ian Book, <laughs> he's 84.6 QBR rated out of 100. Uh, that's 16th in the country. Now, in 2018, he was 80 QBR for 10th in the country. And the reason he's actually lower in the country is because of sample sizes, right? So a lot of teams haven't played yet. So a lot of quarterbacks are pretty high because they played one good game against an FCS school. Book is inching towards Heisman numbers. He's been in that Heisman number for the last four weeks. He's been in the 90s. Um, he is something to absolutely behold this year. Howell, on the other hand, is a really good quarterback himself. He's at a 78 QBR, um, which is 22nd in the country. So he's a definitely more than capable quarterback. He's got his weapon there in Brown. He's got two good running backs. I'm going to assume the offensive line is pretty good, just given how many yards they put up. It's going to be a very interesting game. The ESPN FBI gives Notre Dame a 71.3% win probability for this game, which I think is is fair. Um, you got to think Notre Dame is better pretty much at every position group. North Carolina has just unlocked that offense, and uh, that's a testament to the coaching staff there. Um, they've really turned things around. With that being said, Steve, and we've talked about the quarterbacks, do you think the quarterbacks will be the determining factor of this game and who wins that quarterback battle will win the game? Or do you think even if Howell outperforms Book, we're kind of going to be fine anyway. I'll tell you what the main dif- differentiator will be between these two teams and ultimately who comes up more successful. Offensive line. I think um, our, if our offensive line gives Book time, he has the confidence, he's staying put in the pocket, or at least he's maneuvering around while keeping his eyes upfield to make the plays that he needs to. He's developed in front of our very eyes, very much so over the course of the last three weeks. And everything is just going great for him. And when you got a guy in, in rhythm and with confidence and swagger like he's got, if you can protect him, I don't see how our offense isn't going to fire on all cylinders. So it's, you know, we obviously Patterson's going down. If, uh, if Zeke Correll can jump in there and be basically seamless and our offensive line can protect book, we're going to win this game. And, and inversely, uh, you know, has, has Howell felt a pass rush, as potent as ours, you know, as, as dangerous as ours uh, this year and, and has this offensive line uh, for, for the Tar Heels, have they been able to go up against a unit as ferocious as ours with packages and, and schemes and coverages like we've presented? So I, I think that's where I'm going to give us the edge. Obviously, we, we have the best offensive line in college football uh, or at least one of the top three. And uh, Tar Heels are probably damn good because they move the ball in bunches, but... Uh, I, they haven't performed up to snuff against some of the best teams and they've had some lapses against inferior teams. So if, if our defensive line can get after them, which I'm confident we will, I think that's going to kind of be the factor here real quick. And like a sentence, how concerned are you about Patterson's injury for both this game and the rest of the year? Is it significant or is it overcome? We can overcome it. Oh, overcome it. Overcome it. He's a good player. If it was an Aaron Banks or a light or an Eichenberg, very much more so going to be extremely worried. Uh, Patterson's great. He's he's very, very good. 
I, I just think there's more pieces around him that are more senior uh, and have been there and, and, and done the dance, so to speak, that they're going to be able to plug anyone in there with the depth and the talent that we've had that we've recruited, quote, <laughs> wink, wink, um, that, it, that it's going to make this kind of a successful transition is my original thoughts. Okay. Give me a score prediction on the game. Um, so I, I think we're going to give up points. But I think that at least seven of them come in garbage time. I'm going to go with UNC 27, Notre Dame 45. Interesting. I don't see things too differently from you. I think, however, the defense is going to make a statement that the rest of the college football world is going to have to listen to. And that is, we are the best defense in the country. I think we're going to shut down North Carolina. We're going to frustrate them. And I think this is going to be a blowout. And I know North Carolina is good, and I know they could easily beat us too. We're on episode alert, no doubt. Don't freeze in cold takes me. I do believe they're good. I just think Notre Dame is going to make a statement here. I think the offense is clicking at the right time. I think the defense is going to rebound after a rest. To be fair, North Carolina is coming off a bye week as well. I'm thinking 42-17, and I agree with you. I think some of those points are going to be in garbage time. I think this is going to be a blowout. I think Ian Book is going to have another Heisman performance, and I don't think they're going to be able to stop our offense, and we'll have so much of the ball, they'll have few possessions, and I don't think they're going to do much with them. Is that bold? No, not at all. I, I could definitely see that. I, I wanted to give uh, UNC a little bit more of the benefit of the doubt. I absolutely can see us shutting their, down their offense in ways that they couldn't even imagine, especially you know, if we get up early, their running game's out of the picture, right? So you got you got to lean on Howell, and then with our defense and how many turnovers we have the capacity to create, it could get ugly quick. So it, if we can jump out to an early lead, it's a blowout through and through. Okay, I want to get to one thing because we forgot it last week. We did a poll on Twitter and uh, reply game as we always do. We forgot it last week, so we apologize. It's still relevant this week, so we're going to get into it. The poll part of the question is, does Ian Book's recent performances give you hope that Notre Dame can go all the way? We had a very high voter turnout, almost enough to be a legitimate sample size. Um, 92% said yes. The confidence right now in the Notre Dame fan base is that Ian Book can win us a national championship. And if you asked that question six weeks ago, I think people would disagree. I think that number would be maybe 50-50. People have really bought into this. And uh, let's keep hyping up that Heisman train. Even if he doesn't win Heisman on my ballot, I don't actually vote. Let's get the media on board with this Ian Book as a Heisman contender. Reply, I promise to give you guys um, the best responses here. So what are your thoughts on the wide receiver group now that we're eight games into the season? Um, we've had lots of good answers. Um, I want to highlight two in particular. Christian Bogan on Twitter, C underscore Bogan 1989, says... The wide receivers have definitely stepped up. It's nice to see the confidence and marriage between both Book and the wide receivers. Unlocking the downfield passing attack has opened up this offense. I have confidence that Notre Dame can complete, so it can compete with the elites of the college football world and win. And also from Corey Radio at Corey Radio, he is a blue check mark, so this is fancy for us. Um, he says, "Love that McKinley and Skoranek are ascending." But Avery Davis has been the X factor here. Excited to see him continue to improve along with the return of a healthy Lindsay. Definitely agree there. 
the wide receiver group has a chance to be pretty special with the way Book is dealing. This is perfectly how I feel about this group. I think the wide receiver group has really blown me away. And I'd like to ask you, Steve, A, how would you vote in that poll? And B, how would you answer the question? Yeah, I, I think uh, Christian Bogan had a fantastic analysis there. Uh, actually, I mean, both guys that, that responded were, were pretty much spot on. Um, so the first question, once more, just remind me. So does Ian Book's recent performances give you hope yeah, that Notre Dame can go definitely. away? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I mean, as as we've well established between the Clemson game and, and, and so going onward from there, the confidence is there, the swagger is there, and, and sometimes that's just that's literally just the difference between a winning quarterback and a losing quarterback. Um, you know, there are some guys that have the the arm, the mobility, you know, and, and even the mentality to, to read coverages, but if they don't have the confidence to get that ball into that window or to take that chance or believe in their guys – you're dead in the water, you know, so you're looking at, uh, you know, a losing quarterback. So, so book is just playing with the swagger and confidence that he needs. And if he has another big performance here, it's hard not to see that we just rolled right into the ACC championship game. We firing on all cylinders. And, and if it's just beyond that, you think about, Oh man, it's hard. It's hard not to get so excited about thinking about the, you know, the playoffs. Uh, Cause that's, the implications of how book has been playing definitely has us. It's, it's not that we would get to the playoffs and then be like, Oh, well maybe we'll win, but we'll probably lose. Like we, we did in the, in the cotton bowl recently. This has us thinking like not just the semifinals, like thinking forward to the finals. And it's a whole shift in mentality that I've had that I think the program has the players, the coaches, the fan base. So it's, it's really exciting to see book really come into his own. And, and and Coach Kelly said that uh, quite early on in the season. He said, and everyone, you know, mocked him for the whole winning is hard thing. But he said, I got to get these guys to believe in themselves. That was the biggest issue at the start of the season is they have to believe that they are as good as they really are. And we're seeing that right now. I mean, it's been, it's been like this, particularly with Ian Book. It's been so phenomenal. And um, with that kind of quarterback play, we beat Clemson, we'll beat anyone. I believe that. Alabama's got a worse defense than Clemson. Ohio State's got a worse defense than Clemson. And yeah, Clemson was missing some great defensive players, but Clemson is still Clemson. I think we can beat anybody with Ian Book performing this way, and the receivers have been unreal. Skoranek has maybe played himself into a draft pick conversation. Uh, McKinley has finally really hit that consistency that we've been seeing flashes of. And sure. Lindsay, Lindsay is Lindsay, man. We can't wait to get him back on those jet sweeps on the Lawrence Keys position. He's been doing a pretty good job, too. But Lindsay's just adds another dynamic to this game over the top. And of course, my boy Avery Davis uh, breakout against Clemson. Just phenomenal. Um, this offense feels like it's the best I've seen maybe since the 2015 Kaiser year, maybe better than that. Um, this is this is a really good team, guys. Um, you guys know that. We don't have to reinforce it. Steve, I think we're at the end here. We had a really good chat and we got to flesh out some ideas on some important parts of the notre dame program mm -hmm. do you have anything you want to say before we go any last points to make um before we hang this one up no uh, i think we covered everything in great detail um college football without notre dame is incredibly boring and we are superior to everybody else um recruiting 
all the the pieces are falling into place not and, and we're seeing the ramifications from that from previous years manifest in this year with how well we're doing uh, and, and all the depth that we have it's not just you know top end talent it's the guys that can fill in especially in a year with covid i think that's really highlighting it and not only with Notre Dame but other teams and you're seeing how other teams are struggling so that is why it is important for the future we are setting ourselves up for success sam hell's a bitch the offensive line for the the uh, the Tar Heels are total bitches. We're going to dominate them. We're going to win this game. We're going to go undefeated because it feels like 1988. Couldn't say it better myself. We start. We coined that. That's us. That's all us here. Feels like 1988, not 1993, 1988. Steve, it's good talking with you as always. Uh, it's great having the listeners. Please give us a five-star review on apple Podcasts. give us a comment too we'd appreciate that reach us on twitter um at horseman pod um we 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 love the support guys it means a lot to us we do this for fun we do this to interact with you and we do this to share i think some some opinions of the fans so with that being said i i have nothing else to say but go irish beat the living shit of the tar heels let's go